jump back to it. Grab your pie if you have your Bibles. Revelation 21 is where we're heading. We are finishing up our series. I think we're on like uh, almost 30 sermons in the book of Revelation so far. So Revelation 21, verses 1 through 8. Revelation 21. We have seen over the last couple weeks now um, the prostitute Babylon. The city of Babylon is defeated. We've seen the beast and the false prophet. They have been judged. This last week we saw Satan then finally judged. And once again, we saw it as all these patterns. It's probably all one in the same kind of event. God bringing judgment and justice to the world. Um, and now, chapter 21, we turn and get to peer into heaven itself. What is heaven? Well, Revelation chapter 21. John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things, the first things, have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. You bank your life on it. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. We're tackling this morning the topic of heaven. Uh, and heaven is an important topic to grasp because, as our main point states, a right view of heaven is meant to fuel our endurance and our every good work for Jesus here and now. Catch that? A, view, a right view of heaven is intended to make us people who are actually beneficial to earth here and now. It gives us endurance for here and now. It gives us, it fits us, if you will, for every good work, every good endeavor for Jesus. Now, whether it's been just participating at funerals or having conversation, it becomes um, quite evident that heaven is something that is 
not truly understood. And if heaven is misunderstood, then it inevitably becomes misapplied to life. For many, heaven is this place of escape, right? We just get to go to the good place, away from this bad place. The end comes and all is done and, and, and great, wonderful. We don't have to be here anymore. But when we truly apply that reality to our lives, then why does this, ma this life matter at all? If we're just going to be taken away to some escape, then, okay, what is the point of life here and now? Life becomes irrelevant. What you do in life becomes irrelevant. Or still for others, heaven is this kind of ethereal place in the clouds, you know, this, this soul rest, just all spiritual, kind of in the clouds with the chubby babies or whatever, you know, view you have, right? Heaven uh, is nothing of that, because if it's just a spiritual existence, then what's the point of physicality? What's the point of this dirt earth? What's the point of our activity amidst it? If it's just ethereal, then really um, it enforces the idea that the body and sex and the unborn and work and science and caring for our planet is largely insignificant. Still others then, more churched folk, they'll say heaven is that 24-7 worship service. We're just going to be up in heaven like 24-7 doing this kind of thing. And we will. Uh, we've already seen in the book of Revelation that worship services take place. Every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered before the Lamb of God. It will be amazing. But if we think of heaven only in those terms, what we begin to think is that what we do here and now on a Sunday morning is really the stuff. This is really the important space. But what we do out there, you kind of just pick and choose what you want to do. And it creates that sacred and secular divide. Right? How we view heaven matters for how we live here and now. This is why scripture elsewhere, it'll point us to the glories of heaven constantly. Colossians chapter 3 will say, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you've died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For the sake of pursuing holiness, set your mind on heaven. Or 1 Corinthians 15, Paul will establish the argument of the resurrection. We'll talk about heaven and then say, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord what you do here and now on this earth is done not in vain. Or for the sake of enduring great suffering, Paul will also apply the realities of heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, For this light momentary affliction. Paul was no stranger to suffering. But even in his suffering, he could say, it's but a light and momentary affliction. And it is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things then that are unseen. He's saying if you want to endure well through suffering, get your eyes fixed on glory. Sam Storms, he says it this way. He says, I am persuaded that we will never be of much use in this life until we've developed a healthy obsession with the next. Right? And it's specifically then why we are given Revelation 21. Remember, 
uh, the book of Revelation written to these seven churches. These seven churches are under immediate duress and persecution. Their very lives are threatened by the emperor worship of the day. Their finances are vulnerable due to the pagan trade guilds that really have the market on jobs. Their spiritual health is being compromised by the synagogue of Satan, these Jewish leaders who have now invaded the church and false prophets and prophetesses who have come into the church. It's layers of opposition. The church becomes quite a messy place according to Revelation. And it's necessary then the church would know that who, who they follow will ultimately take down the beast. He will ultimately take down the false prophet and the prostitute. He will judge the great dragon, Satan, and he will usher in a new creation, heaven itself. But even the descriptions of heaven, as we see in Revelation 21, are meant to inform life here and now. Once again, heaven is meant to fuel our endurance here and now and our every good work for Jesus. And so it is for us in this moment that we must gain a view of heaven so as to give us something of fuel for everyday life. So I'll lay my heart before you. I, 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 I studied through this and there were three aspects of heaven that I got to. And there's actually at least five within the text. And I thought, oh, we'll just do two parts and, uh, you know, save something for next week. And then I remembered, wait a second, my anniversary is this week. And uh, James is preaching next week, so we got to cram a little bit. So hold on. We're going to try to get to all five aspects of heaven. So let's jump into it. What is heaven like? Heaven is a place, first and foremost, that is physical. In verse 1, John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. In John's vision, he's clearly seeing something that represents our present existence. He sees a new heaven and a new earth. It's why he can recognize it as being new. It's something similar to what was former, but it's new. You catch it? A new car is still a car, but it's new. The new heavens and earth are new, but it's still heavens and earth. Paul or, or John sees something that resembles this present existence. That is, heaven is not something other than similar to what we experience here and now. In fact, John is borrowing the idea of a new heavens and new earth from Isaiah 65. God's people are in exile. Again, a, a suffering people. And what helps a suffering people but to envision them with heaven? And so God, through the prophet Isaiah, them, encourages them. Isaiah 65, it states, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. To describe this new heavens and new earth, it states, and they shall build houses. You know, in heaven, there are going to be houses being built, and you will inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. That was the struggle going on with God's people at that time. They were removed from their homes. 
And he's saying that's not going to happen in the new creation. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. What scripture envisions for us when it comes to heaven is a place where there is joy, there is activity, but physically so. It is a physical existence. And in that physical existence, yes, with building and working and planting, creation now cooperates. It uniquely cooperates with us and uniquely then rewards the labors of our hands to the glory of God. This is scripture's view of heaven. It is not just simply in the clouds. It is not an ethereal soul rest kind of place. Heaven is something similar to now with all the physical pleasures and delights of now just known in a brand new and full way and in a way which glorifies the creator. And of course, not only will heaven and earth be new, but this includes all who have trusted in Jesus. You will be made new. Uh, many refer to heaven as the intermediate state, right? It's the state of existence for those who know Christ but who have died. Their bodies go into the ground, but their souls go to be present with Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.8 states, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We call this the intermediate state. It's the state between death and the resurrection of all things. It's not the final state of heaven. It's the intermediate state. But heaven is where the body is glorified. It's reunited with the soul to then exist in this new heavens and this new earth. And of course, we see this glorified body. Have you ever wondered what's gonna, my body going to be like when I get to heaven? Well, we can look at Jesus. Jesus was raised from the dead in a glorified state. Jesus walks with his disciples. He eats at a table. He, he chomps on fish, for crying out loud, in his glorified body. He teaches his disciples. He has the capacity, as, as it were, for physical pleasures and enjoyments. But it's certainly an upgrade, his body. He's not even initially recognized by his, his disciples on the road to Emmaus. They, they can't even understand who he is, right? Or he suddenly will appear in a particular room with his disciples. He didn't walk through the door. He just arrives. How did that happen? There's something to his new body that is an upgrade to whatever it had been. And yet, still with this upgrade of a body, he still bears the scars, in his hand. He can still go to Thomas and say, put your hand upon my side where that spear was thrust through. Something to what he experienced in this life remains in his glorified state. It's important for us to recognize. Scripture again and again will then say, believer, you're going to be like Jesus. You're going to be glorified like Jesus. For instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. It's that particular question. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And, and 
Paul will state to the church in Corinth, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. He's saying your physical existence here and now is like a bare kernel to what will be the blossom of the glorified state. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own kind. Check this out. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans, another kind for animals. Is there a dog heaven? Seems like it. It seems like it. Another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, that kernel, that seed, but what is raised is immortal, it's imperishable. So it is sown a natural body. Our bodies go into the earth, but it is raised a spiritual or heavenly body. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Your glorified state will be similar to Jesus' glorified state. You will be resurrected in your body as he was resurrected. Our old bodies are but a kernel that is eventually resurrected, blossom into this glorified life, just like that of Christ, the man of heaven. We will be like him, new glorified physical bodies joined to this new physical heavens and earth. Why does this matter? Well, it means that we shouldn't try to escape our humanity here and now. We shouldn't despise our bodies, but actually cherish them as given by God. We shouldn't despise this creation, but we should honor it. We should tend to it. Why? Because it's the seed of what will be. Amen. You see? We're not just escaping from this place. This place will become the glorified new creation. It's the seed of what will be just as Jesus was made new but still bore the scars in his body so even we live here in our physical existence like a seedling in our physical existence. It will in some way carry on to the heaven. Will we bear scars in our own bodies? I don't know how that's going to work. But there's something to the scars of Jesus that are important for glory. And there may be scars within our own lives, even on our own bodies, that have importance for glory. I think some scars are going to be done away with. That belongs to the old man. But we may carry scars even into the new life. Scars that speak well of Jesus. I think of the missionaries that have died for his sake, that have been shot through, like Paul, lashes again and again. I believe that Paul will carry those lashes as something of a reward into heaven. His body will bear it, and forever it will testify to the glory and worth of Christ. Our physical 
life will carry on into the heavenly life. The new heavens and new earth are first and foremost physical. All right, we got to move. Heaven is then secondly a place that is free from death. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. All right, we're alive. Goodness. I hate, I hate, I hate the funerals that we face as a church. Hate them. Hate funerals. I do not like death. Heaven will be death free. So in the end of verse one, heaven and earth are made new, but also the sea was what? No more. All right, good. Somebody said gone. Yes, it's gone. All right. We've seen that the sea is what the beast arises out of. Remember that? Chapter 13, verse 1. The beast arises out of the sea. The sea is the domain of spiritual chaos. Again, it's why demons in the, in the story of the demoniac are cast out of the demoniac and they possess the pigs, but then they run off the cliff into the sea. That's where they belong. They belong in that place of death. They belong in that place of chaos. And the idea here is saying all of that stuff will be no more. Sin, death, and the demonic banished forever. It's even why, um, you know, a few weeks ago we celebrated baptisms. It's why we are baptized in water. That's not just like, eh, let's, let's have a dunk in water. That's a nice idea. No, it's the imagery of it all. Those waters refer to the chaos and death that we all experience. Right? And going under those waters is to say, old man Dan, you stay down there. You're new in Jesus. It's to say one day this body, yep, is going to go into the ground, but it's going to be renewed by Jesus. Right? Water is significant. The image and symbolism that it carries refers to the demonic, refers to death, refers to the chaos that we all feel in this life. This is then what makes heaven so unique. Have, have you ever wondered, uh, you know, when we get to heaven, how old will we be? Ever thought of that? You know, or will a child who passes remain that age? Will an elderly person remain that age? And it's, it's a kind of a superficial question. Because all we know in this existence is age. We only know life begins, death begins. We only know life in those concepts. We only know life according to death. And the idea really is at, at work here, none of that stuff, it's a question that is irrelevant because it will be free of death. It'll be free of the chaos. Life as you know it will be, in this life, ridden on the chaos of waters. But the idea is, thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ. Who even way back in Genesis 3.15, we are promised that one is going to come to deal with sin, deal with death, deal with the, the demonic forever. Jesus comes to banish the sea Forever, Who alone is the worthy one who's able to break the seals, open the scroll, and banish death forever? It's the Lamb standing in resurrection power as though he had been slain. Heaven is death free. 
And so what does that mean for us now? Well, it means that we pursue holiness now. We go to war against the chaos. We go to war against the lust and anger within us. We go to war against the addictions within us. We go to war against the bitterness and unforgiveness within us. We go to war against that stuff because that's all related to the sea. That's all related to chaos. That's all related ultimately to death. We go to war against that spiritual death, that spiritual chaos. We live by the resurrection life we have in Christ. This means here and now we are people who pursue holiness. We get after holiness. But I think it's also important to recognize, uh, as is illustrated by, um, I think it was third century, the Cyprian plague. I don't know why these things come to mind as I'm studying. You know, random, random facts, you know, or whatever. Um, the Cyprian plague that hit Rome, it was daily. They're pulling out 5,000 bodies out of Rome during this time. Incredible devastation. Even one says at the first onset of the disease, people were pushing the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead. But the story goes on that Christians at risk to their own lives stayed behind to tend to the sick. And it assumed that thousands were saved by their efforts. The idea is simply to say that if death one day will be no more for us, if it will not be death for us even to die, we can most effectively give ourselves away to others in need in the here and now. We don't have to run for the hills. We can walk by faith and we can make a difference in this life by ultimately laying down our life as Jesus ultimately laid down his. We can enter into the fray for the good of others knowing that it is not death to die when Jesus has banished the sea forever. Third then, the third aspect. Heaven is a place where culture is created. Uh -huh. Something a little different. John says in verse 2, he says, I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. John describes heaven as a city, right? He describes it as a city, and some will, you know, especially hmm, uh, preachers and scholars that are in urban centers, they want to say, well, you see, heaven will just be this urban context. It'll be so cool. You know, we're, we're, we're really doing the heaven thing on this side of glory, you know, so, so stay in the city. Well... Maybe, maybe in part, but there is a nuanced meaning to this idea of the city. Do you remember Adam and Eve when they were created? God gave them a cultural mandate. He said to them, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over it. And the idea here was to creatively harness and develop all of earth's potential so that it might reflect something of the glory and dominion of its creator. Adam and Eve were to create culture. Music mattered. Engineering mattered. Development mattered. They were to create culture from the arts and to the sciences and everything in between. It was be, to be done to reveal the beauty of God. Uh, but this was soon an earthly problem. By Genesis chapter 11, we see the Tower of Babel. 
otherwise known as the city of Babel. It didn't seek to create a culture that would honor the creator, but sought to honor themselves. Remember, the city of Babel is also translated city of Babylon. Have we not seen that image used again and again throughout the book of Revelation? The city of Babylon refers to this political system, this culture-creating system that ultimately honors man versus God. And doesn't King Nebuchadnezzar become the one in the Old Testament who is the, the imagery of it? It's King Nebuchadnezzar who's, who's king over the city of Babylon. And what happens to him? Well, he honors himself, but in honoring himself and exalting himself in the culture and the incredible things that he, so to speak, created, he becomes less and less human by glorying him in himself. He, he becomes a beast. Don't we see that imagery in the book of Revelation? You see? He becomes a beast. And it isn't until that he humbles himself that he is restored to his humanity. What we see in the book of Revelation, culture continues to be created by the city of Babylon. But as we saw in chapter 18, we hear what happens. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. Culture that is created for man's sake will fall. Culture created for God's sake will stand. It is the difference between the city of man and the city of God. Culture created for man's glory versus culture created for God's glory. It's all to say that heaven will be a place where culture is created for God's glory. The idea is with Jesus kind of as the master city planner, heaven will be a physical place where we are, we are given kind of a renewed cultural mandate where all of creation will cop, uh, cooperate with our endeavors. And in so doing, we will find incredible deep levels of affection for the creator himself as we work what he's given us through the sciences and through all kinds of creative expressions. This will be heaven. Music will matter in heaven. The arts and expression will matter in heaven. It all will matter then. But what does this mean for us now? Well, Jesus actually tells us straightforward. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city... That is said on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, as a city, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. On this side of heaven, we get to be light for those in darkness. We get to create culture here and now. Your work matters doesn't matter if you're a contractor, an engineer, a plumber, whatever it is, it matters. It creates culture. We get, however, in this culture, to be counterculture. We get to be a light amidst darkness. Something stands in stark contrast to the self-exaltation of our day. Right, whether it's through family life, social work, education, politics, business, arts, or technology, all so that 
others would see a light and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. But also know, not only do we get to be this counter-cultural movement, so to speak, bringing the glory of God to this uh, creation, being light amidst darkness, but also know that our efforts here shape and influence that kernel, you remember, then and there. N.T. Wright says it this way. He says, every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human beings, and for that matter, one's fellow non-human beings, and of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way through the resurrection power of God into the new creation which God will one day make. It's a mystery in some sense. But what we do here and now, as scripture would say, is an investment into heaven. It's something in which what we do here now is infused into the kernel that will one day blossom into glory. It's not just we do things here and well, you know, we just go to heaven and everything is lost in what we do here and now. No, what you're doing in daily work, due to the glory of God, and it will be an investment into heaven. Be that counterculture. Be light amidst darkness. Don't kind of pull away when the ethics of, of your job is, is, is going in the wrong direction. Stand up. Be light amidst darkness. Invest into glory. Right? Amen. It's to create culture. All our efforts and all our work will not be scrapped. Our work will be infused into that kernel, invested into eternity. As Paul will also say, our work here on earth will be tested and tried to be either found as wood, hay, and stubble, or gold and silver. Gold and silver as value that carries through to our heavenly existence. So be a light amidst darkness. Be a culture creator knowing that our efforts here and now for Christ's sake will only sweeten life then and there. This is where I was going to stop. I got two more brief ones. We haven't even got through the text. Two, two more brief ones. Heaven, fourthly, is, is a place we can call home. Isn't that good? Verse 2, the city is also prepared like a bride for her husband. Right, for, for the dudes here, that's like, eh, not so appealing, right? Uh, but it is glorious. Get the idea that Jesus has bound himself to us. All the desires, whether it's for uh, men or women, all the desires for relational connection. We grow up in this world, this sea of chaos, and all those relationships get broken. And I wonder, will I ever have a relationship that I can truly lean on, truly know, truly find satisfaction in? One with undying love, with one without conflict and unforgiveness and bitterness and the mess. Will, will, will there just be someone I can connect with? 
Jesus. It's all right to be a bride, right, in this kind of context, so that I might get a husband who is forever with me, who can satisfy me relationally. And notice as it goes on, behold, the dwelling place of God is now with man. This takes us all the way back to Leviticus chapter 26, where God says, I will make my dwelling among you. You know, God had this plan all along. He hasn't foiled his plan. He hasn't fumbled it. No, he is still kind of locked in to this idea of heaven where we will call heaven home. I will make my dwelling among you. I will walk among you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. It's going to be home. We'll finally arrive home with all the with all the stuff within us that feels unsettled, I'm not home. I'm just a pilgrim going through this life. There, there's just no ultimate sense of ease and rest. That's to be felt because we haven't come home yet. Home is yet to be where we will be like a bride and we will dwell with God and he will dwell with us. But verse 4, notice he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, crying, pain anymore, for the former things, the first things of this earth will pass away. Jesus will be for you, finally, your emotional satisfaction. For all the pain, for all the trauma, for all that is unresolved in this life, it will be resolved in Christ in the next. This is important for us to grasp. This is heaven. What we experience here and now with one another ain't heaven. You catch that? It doesn't make us any less spiritual family, but we need to remember in the here and now. How does this apply to us now? We will not satisfy one another emotionally. I can't satisfy you. The person across the aisle can't satisfy you emotionally. Who satisfies? Who reaches down into the depths of our brokenness one day and will finally uproot all the grief that our life in this world has endured? Jesus. Don't make your pastor or one another Jesus. We can tend to one another. We can walk with one another, right? Through the journey of life, through the hardships of life. You can't satisfy one another ultimately. We can be there for one another. We can point to Jesus. You gotta get to see Jesus amidst your grief and your difficulties. But know this, it'll, it is only Jesus who will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's only Jesus who will take away our mourning, our crying, and our pain. The former things will pass away because of Jesus. It'll be home. Finally then, Heaven is a place that God freely provides. Much of what we've already talked about is recapped in verses 5 through 8, but verse 6 and 7 is kind of the main point. God freely provides heaven. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Folks, this is why we're called Mercy Gate. This is why we're called Mercy Gate. It's out of the mercy gate of the temple in Ezekiel's vision that this river begins to flow. And it's the 
river of God's presence. And wherever the river of God's presence, it brings life. But it's that river, it's that soul satisfaction, it's that thirst-quenching presence of God that is given freely. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have the soul satisfaction. It's important to see is the way this text kind of finishes up. This water of life, this soul satisfaction, this relationship to God, this hope of heaven is without payment. You don't bring your accomplishments. You don't bring your religious credentials. You don't bring the things you've done and things you've accomplished to the table. You bring all your brokenness. You bring all your need. You humble yourself before Jesus, and that is it. You bring nothing. It's without payment. And this is what is offered, springs of living water. Verse 7, then it goes on, to the one who overcomes, he will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. Again, free. Even as was said in the, in the call to worship, from enemies to family. Right? We are brought by the blood of Christ freely. We are brought from being enemies to being family, to having a heritage, to having a God who tends to us and cares for us as his own family. It comes freely. In this world, you're going to hear and you're going to hear from the church. You've got to do this and 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 you've got to do all these things and you're really never going to feel like you, you, you belong. You never really add up. And what you're going to do is either it's going to drive you either to despair or to self-righteousness because either look what I've done or I can't do it. And Jesus says it's not about what you do. It's all about humbling yourself before him and saying, Lord, I need, I need what you provide. I need the water of life. It comes freely. And notice, it only comes through Jesus. Verse 8, for as the cowardly, the faithless, detestable, as for the murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I'm just going to... We all fall under those categories, right? We all fall under those categories. Yeah, yeah. And don't stand in your self-righteousness now. We all fall under those categories. We all are deserving of this particular judgment. But it's only through Jesus that we can freely know the glories of heaven, to be able to call heaven home. It's only through Jesus. And the idea here really in verse 8 is the cowardly, the faithless. It's those who probably profess Christ, been a part of the church, but through all the duress and all the persecution have kind of cowardly walked away from the Lord and said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go join life without the pressures and pains here and now. Folks, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep going after him. He will be the water that satisfies our soul. Keep your eyes on him just as we began, right? Seek the things that are above. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Keep your eyes 
on glory. A right view of heaven, once again, is meant to fuel your endurance and your every good work for Jesus here and now. Heaven is a place that is physical. Heaven is a place that is free of death. Heaven is a place where culture is created. Heaven is a place that we can truly call home. And heaven is a place that God freely provides. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you provide us, that even right now you present before us just a feast of grace. You offer yourself freely without reservation. You offer yourself to us. And so, God, for, for any who are here even right now saying, I don't quite I don't quite understand, I don't quite get it, but I know I need this Jesus. Lord, grant them clarity, and Lord, let it be that they trust in you, that they don't come with all their good things and they don't hide away because of all the bad things and struggles that they carry, but they bring it all to you, Lord. Thank you that you don't uh, call us to jump through a bunch of hoops, and thank you that there is no sin, no struggle too great for your mercy. Thank you that you will have us because you've done the work upon that cross to give grace freely. So God, let it be that even today you would call some to yourself. But as a church, we also just ask for sustaining grace. Grow in us something of a vision for heaven that would make us just fruitful in this life here and now. But it would teach us in some sense to number our days so that we can be more fit, <laughs> as it were, for glory. That we would do the work that would ultimately translate to heaven itself. So God, in all the various ways that you've gifted your people in all the various vocations, all the different interests and even hobbies in the parenting that takes place, Lord, grant grace to see those things done for your glory. Grant grace, Lord, for those be, that, that we would in some sense be culture creators, being light amidst darkness, even until you bring us safely home. God, let our lives stand as a light ultimately for you. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I'm going to ask the Adams to come on up. This is a bittersweet time, right? Um, where they are transitioning on. And uh, for many of you, it, it's not much of a surprise. You guys have kind of walked through it. Uh, but we do want to just communicate our deep appreciation for you guys, uh, our love for you, the ways you've served and uh, invested in Mercy Gate. Uh, even going through the music, it was like, Holy cow, there are a lot of chord charts here that <laughs> you've spent a lot of time with uh, over the past. But even beyond those things, uh, the relational um, kind of uh, grace that we've received as a church through both uh, Zach and Nat and the different ways that they've served us has been sweet and has been good. Um, so uh, we want to give you guys, if there's anything for you to share, but also just want to take time to... Uh, pray with you guys as well. Any particulars? Thanks, Ben. Uh, nothing, nothing big. No sermon 2.0, 3.0. <laughs> uh, just to say, yeah, like this summer will be eight years uh, for us as members here. 
uh, and it's a gift. Uh, it's like that's the majority of my marriage, all of my kids' lives. Like that's pretty well. Uh, and so we're we're grateful for how God has grown us through the years here, um, and anticipating how He's going to keep growing us uh, after that. I was talking to a friend this week and uh, used that imagery of like. You don't really choose. Like you're, you're growing and you're moving, and that's a there's change and there's bittersweetness in that for us too. Uh, there's yeah, so there's a lot of so much more to process. As I look in this room this morning, I'm like, oh, there's like more to think about than I can uh, in terms of all that's happened in this place and with so many of you people uh, in that many years. So uh, yeah, I'm just I'm profoundly grateful. Uh, God's blessed us with a lot of you people in our lives. Uh, and we expect to darken the door here again. Uh, membership is not the same as brother and sister, but, uh, so we, we expect to be back around. But, but yeah, we feel this is where God's got to pull us, and so yeah, onward. So you have anything for me? Thank you. We <laughs> love you. We'll always have fifty-two on roof. Fifty-two hundred on roof. All right, good. James, you want to pray? Let's do it. Lord, we just want to lift up before you today to Adam's family. And we want to thank you, thank you, thank you for all of the blessings that are so evident in their lives and the ways that they've blessed so many of us personally and as a church family. So, Lord, we thank you for that. We exalt your name, and we want to give all the credit to you for doing the work in their hearts and in their family to lead them here and to stir them up to serving you so well and so faithfully. And so, Lord, we praise you for doing that work, and we want to ask for your continued blessing as they uh, move on and transition into a new phase of life, Lord. And I pray for their work at Christ's home and... Um, in the counseling roles that Zach has, that you would use them in mighty, mighty ways, Lord, that, that they would take a piece of this church family and um, that it would um, bear fruit wherever they go and however they minister, Lord, that your name would be made great through their, uh, through their ministry. And Lord, I, I also lift up the kids, Lord. I just want to see them growing rapidly in their faith and in their obedience to you, Lord. So I pray for them. Would you just hold them, sustain them, and pour out your grace upon them, even as there are uh, unknowns in the near future, Lord, as in terms of um, where to go, when to go, and all of that, Lord. Please give the wisdom that they need and make it abundantly clear, but also fill them with faith, Lord, that they would just follow you eagerly and obediently, trusting in you all the while, Lord. So we bless them and we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Lord, we, we do pray... Uh, just thanking you, um, you like it'd be wrong for us to just not say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for the unique ways in which you impart grace to your church uh, through the through the gifting, through the relationships, through the friendships, through all the different serving. God, we thank you. We thank you for the time that we've had uniquely together to kind of uh, know your grace uh, to and from one another, and so. Uh, God, we just praise you. We thank you for that, that creative way in which you brought together your church. Uh, but we also then ask for uh, sustaining grace for the Adams as they, as they transition. So God, lead them and guide them. But uh, Lord, we give you all the glory through it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Amen. We love you.
I was thinking about following Jesus as that river of life. And, you know, as those individuals were baptized, um, it's the image of jumping into that rushing river of life. But some of you guys might be individuals who are tiptoeing down to that river. You're standing on the bank, hesitant to jump into that river. Or maybe you're in the water and you're grasping for things on the banks to hold on because you're not sure where you're going to end up. And so I just want to, to pray for those individuals. Um, the river of life that is in Christ is rushing to an eternal, beautiful, everlasting kingdom with him. And he's calling you to jump in. He's calling you to jump in headlong and not to grasp at anything that the old life, the old man, the old flesh would would seek to satisfy you in lesser ways. He's calling you to jump in headlong. And so I just want to pray for you, Lord. I lift up anybody who might be hesitant to jump into following you. Lord, I lift up anybody who is trying to grasp for straws to, to seek um, temporary emotional comfort or satisfaction in things that will not last. Lord, I pray for anybody in those situations that they would have the faith that you would fill them right now, that your spirit would call them out into the water, that they would dive in headfirst, and that they would trust in you to carry them in that river into a safe, eternal home. So Lord, I pray that you would do that work even right now, that you would stir up that desire to follow you, to jump in headlong in full faith, trusting that 